Hello, and welcome to Android Bytes, powered by Esper, the podcast that dives deep into the world of Android. I'm Mashal Rahman, and while I'd normally be joined by my co-host David Ruddock, he unfortunately couldn't make it to this one. Still, we've got a great topic and guest lined up on the show. This week, we'll be talking about security, specifically mobile app security. So if you've listened to our podcast before, you know we've talked about Android's security model, at least when it comes to applications, as well as how permissions work in the previous episode. But this time, we want to focus more specifically on how Google app developers and outside firms team up to protect you and your Android device. So today, we've invited Brian Reed, Chief Mobility Officer at Now Secure, to talk about mobile app security. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks, Michelle. It's great to be here and part of your community. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So this is a topic that in my now seven years of covering Android, you know, I've kind of delved into the security side a bit here and there, even though while it's not been my primary focus, just covering the Android platform ecosystem, these security issues come up and tend to cover them. Pretty much every week you'll hear from some mobile security threat firm that there's some new malware strain out in the wild and that is wreaking havoc. And then when you dive into the details, you discover, oh, they're mostly misusing some Android API or application, some permission, or they're tricking users into enabling some sensitive permissions. And so like, this is a topic that is ever pervasive in our lives because you probably know people in your lives who could be tricked into enabling something they shouldn't have or installing something they shouldn't have. And even if you think that you wouldn't do that, there's a very high chance that you could be tricked too. No one is ever completely foolproof from phishing or any other malware attacks. There are many things you can do to prevent yourself from being taken advantage of, but on the ecosystem side, there are also many things that Android does and that Google does and that outside firms can do to proactively protect you from harming yourself. So just so we're all on the same page, I kind of want to just touch upon the background of Android security model and how Android actually protects you at a platform level. So we talked about this before, but every time you install an app, it comes in an APK file. And within that APK file, there's all the assets, the code, the resources, et cetera. But there's also a digital signature that is generated whenever the developer signs a package. And whenever that app is installed on your device, it's given a unique package name. And whenever you try to install an app that has a package name matching an existing app that's installed on the device, if that signature doesn't match the signature that was with the previous app, then Android will check the installation. And because it's assumed that the signing key the developer used to sign that app is generally kept somewhere safe and secure within their own repository on the computer or uploaded to Google, then you can assume that some third party didn't just modify the app and then upload it and then you install it onto your device. So that's how Android generally secures updating applications. The one challenge with that is, while it ensures that some outside developer didn't modify and push an app onto your device, it doesn't guarantee that the update hasn't been tampered with, hasn't had any malicious or potentially harmful code within the update. Like it could still be signed by the original developer, but how do you know if that update is still safe to use? And that's generally where firms like Now Secure come in. So I wanted to ask you, Brian, can you tell us a bit about the company? Sure. So Now Secure actually got started as a forensics company in 2008 and 2009. So the birth of Android that was around the same time as iOS, our founder got interested in these cool little devices that seemed to have a whole lot of computing power and a lot of forensic data on him. And while he wasn't a forensic specialist, he actually became the world's expert in mobile forensics and ultimately built a business that is now secure. Today, we're kind of an all-in-one solution provider we have for mobile application security. So we have testing tools, development tools, pen testing services, open source tools, 
training, all of those kinds of things and partner with lots of organizations to make sure they're able to deliver those secure applications on whatever mobile operating system they want. So our roots are in Android because that's really where he started. And we continue to do a lot with Google and the entire ecosystem community today. Thanks, Brian. And just to follow up on the Android aspect, one other thing that Android does at the platform level to protect you is that it has a very secure model of protecting applications from interacting with other applications. So you may have heard the term sandbox before. So whenever you install an app on Android, every app that has a unique package name, you know, every app has to have a unique package name. You can't have two apps with the same package name installed on a device. So what happens is that that package is assigned a, a unique identifier. And when you run that app, Android runs it in a container that's called a process. And then that identifier is called a PID for that process. So by putting processes in containers, Android ensures that apps can only interact with other apps through a well-defined process called the binder IPC. So this way, apps can only interact and only execute, only like send a request to get data from another app through well-defined permissions through well-defined intents and whatnot. So like you can't just have one app poking around the data of another app without break the sandbox, which is just not something that is very easily achievable without some very serious exploit in the Android platform. I wanted to ask you, Brian, how does this in your experience, how does Android security model compare to other operating systems? Would you say it's more or less secure? Yeah, that's always a loaded question. What I would say is that the Linux kernel underneath Android in and of itself with its advanced security capabilities gives it a strength. Apple has a more closed system on iOS just in terms of how they operate. Uh, the sandboxing model is very strong. You know, the containerization of applications, the control of the IPC channel, all of those things are good strengths for Android. What's been really interesting to watch is that Android kind of was very heavy. I've been around this since BlackBerry. Just to give you my background, I was with the original mobile security company called BlackBerry. So I've seen a lot over the years. And BlackBerry was completely locked down and completely impossible to innovate just about at all, but it was really secure, right? And that's an example of a niche user experience with high security, but it was really inflexible when you wanted to write applications. The Android world kind of has two communities. You have the, I just want to get stuff done. And then you have kind of the fanboy world that want to customize and do really interesting things and, you know, so on and so forth, which leads to rooting and more customizations in the operating system. What has been really interesting to watch is that Android has become incredibly secure. If you look at the number of CVEs and CWEs listed for Android operating system or for device hardware, for at least the tier one manufacturers, they have gone down as a rate over time. Apple hasn't. Now, Apple may have been a little bit ahead, so there sort of is this, it depends on who your hardware manufacturer is, how they are properly or improperly using the operating system and the licensing that they're doing around the Play Store and the tooling around that. But Android today is a very safe environment. And so I live in a blended world, so I have yes, one of everything because I'm in a mobile business. I have no qualms about saying which device or which operating system is better. Android and iOS are both better than Windows, frankly. And so from that perspective, there's lots of different places we can go in terms of talking about, well, how do I make sure I'm safe and secure and how do I make sure I do the right things? You mentioned something that I want to kind of wanted to follow up on. Power users, you know, there are people who like to root and tinker their devices. That's something that wasn't really possible with the older, more locked down operating systems and current ones like iOS. So on Android, you are allowed to sideload applications. The term sideloading isn't really much of a thing in the Windows world, but it is something that exists in Android. And in order to sideload an application from outside of the official Google Play Store, you have to opt in. You have to enable a permission. You have to do it on a per application basis. And there are also other security features that kind of irk power users. 
And I wanted to ask you your thoughts first on sideloading. Like, how does Google balance the ability to allow users to sideload applications with actually protecting them from installing something that's potentially untrusted? Yeah, I think there's kind of two ways to look at it. So I'm going to take a macro view and then kind of a micro view. So the macro view is there are three or four billion users of Android. And that means everybody of every kind, everywhere in the world, trying to do everything you can imagine, right? And so there's lots of different segments of people that want to use it in certain behaviors. I do a lot of work with companies that use lockdown Android tablets that are purpose designed for a specific use. They may have one application on them. I do work in automotive. I do work in healthcare, right? And so there's that class, financial services, where regulatory matters, control matters, sensitive data matters. You as a patient don't want that data lost. If it's your car, you don't want that car broken into, right? So there's that category. And then you kind of move into the more general, maybe business user, then you move into the more generalized consumer, and then you move into the tinkerer category, like the, the fanboys. And you know. And what I think Google's done a pretty good job of is trying to balance all of them, right, from that perspective. And so they've set up the guardrails. They've continued to improve the guardrails and gates to make it hard to be malicious. So you've got the containerized model we just talked about. Sideloading to me is an enabler for the category of people who want it, but most people should stay away from it. If you were to ask me how do regular people, consumers, not more technical, advanced customizers stay safe, don't sideload. Because Google Play with Play Protect, data safety labels, and all of the system services that are built into the premium level are designed to keep you safe. And it's really easy to stay safe when you're leveraging those things. Sideloading is one of the top malware paths. The other biggest breach vector actually is SMS phishing. And that's not Google or Apple or anybody else's fault. That's the nature of the way SMS behaves. And that's a whole different security conversation. And the fact that people click on that stuff, just in the same way they sometimes click on spam emails, right? So sideloading isn't a bad thing, but sideloading can get you in trouble. So you really should focus on brand name apps from brand name companies you know that have attestation in them with data safety program that have four or more stars, have millions of downloads, right? That's just the collective being safe, doing the smart thing, which is probably 80% of the world, really. Right. I kind of liken sideloading to deciding where to purchase something online. So if you're a sideloader, you're kind of bypassing all the extra scrutiny that is placed on those applications by Google Play and by Play Protect and all the stuff that's, that developers have to go through to even get their apps on there. So like if you were to shop online, sure, you could go to AliExpress. You could find literally anything you want at any time, but you're kind of putting yourself at risk by, you know, are you actually going to get what you're trying to order? Is the seller actually legitimate? Is the product actually as described? Or could you just do the easy thing and go to like Amazon? You know, sure, there are going to be some fakes or going to be some product issues, but generally those are more vetted because there's more barriers to entry to get on there. Right. You know, a lot of this is risk and reward for the bad guys, right? So those barriers of entry, the friction that's put in the system, make it harder for the people who want to be malicious to behave malicious and the cost of being malicious becomes so high, it's not worth it. So from that perspective, take advantage of everything you can, buy a first-class device from a first-class vendor, make sure they're using their licensing Google correctly and leveraging that technology and so on and so forth, and you can be safe. And when we look at what Google has done for the two primary safety systems, we have the play protect side of the house, and we have the data safety label side of the house, and data safety labels just became mandatory in the last week. And so between those two things, if I can, play protect is basically Google's giant malware engine. Google is continuously scanning for malware. Google has a lot of partners. 
that are in security and endpoint management that are contributing to the malware signature world. And while you sometimes see it, and I'm not saying they're in any, it's way better now than it used to be. And that database of malware signatures and the sophistication of the testing between Google and Google's partners continues to get better and better and better. Take advantage of PlayProtect. You can run it on your own device. It's being scanned when it's going into the app store. If you find something, report it and kind of help the community. The data safety label is really interesting. So I'll show my age. I remember when my parents would only buy electronics if they had the underwriter's laboratory safety label on it, which meant some third-party company tested that piece of electronics so it wouldn't like burn you or blow up your house or you know something else like that. And for the first time anywhere in software that I have ever seen, Google's actually added labeling that this thing's safe. It's called a data safety label. And so one half of the label is the software developer is going to attest and say, here is what my app does with your data. I transmit it, I collect it, I send it, what have you. The other half is you can get an independent security verification done by an accredited third party. And that accredited third party, now secures one of them, will actually test it sufficiently to say, yeah, this app is safe based on this industry standard benchmark. And that's like a good housekeeping seal of approval or underwriter's lab label on it now. So now with Play Protect, I'm protecting myself from malware and with data safety labels, I'm also ensuring that the app manufacturer is doing the right thing. And that's really great for users. So just to take a step back, because on this show, we love to talk about AOSP and GMS and try to differentiate between them. Google Play Protect, as Brian had mentioned, is part of Google Mobile Services. So it's something that is available on devices with GMS Android. So if you were to compile AOSP from Google's Git repositories, you would not have Play Protect available to you because it is part of, I believe, Google Play Store app itself or Google Play Services, either one of those two. And as Brian mentioned, it is a massive database of malware signatures. And I kind of wanted to talk about now, like I wanted to ask you how exactly is that malware signature database actually built? How does Google go out and decide to add something to its database? So for those of you who looked up anything related to this before, you might've heard terms like static and dynamic analysis. Can you walk us through what those mean? Sure. So there is something called the App Defense Alliance. So I'm just going to introduce the how does the data get collected? So the App Defense Alliance was created five, six years ago. And it's a group of folks who do malware. They do endpoint management, they do antivirus, a lot of the subjects you might expect in this world. And so Google said, hey, we want to crowdsource this stuff. We've got a whole bunch. We know you have more, so let's start collecting them. So to all of the different vendors who participate in that, when they find something, they submit it through a special channel to Google. Google adds it to their database, verifies it, and the giant database gets bigger. And it's because there's multiple vendors scanning billions of devices, you get a pretty good signature database as a result of that. Now, what we're all doing under the hood is we're basically doing some combination of static and dynamic analysis or SAST and DAST. And so SAST is basically scanning code, either the source code or binary image of the app to statically identify coding failures in the application. So with SAST, you might find things like say, hard-coded secrets embedded in the application or debugging code that made it into production in the app store submission or hard-coded URLs or stuff like that. Those are vulnerabilities you could find. You can also find malicious behavior like, hey, it's scooping up this data and transmitting it to this IP address. And then DAST, which is dynamic analysis, is actually running the app. Most of us who participate in the program have some sort of dynamic analysis, which we observe the app running on a real device. 
whether it's in a lab or it's on some customer's device that has an agent running on it and we see the malicious behavior, we capture it. So dynamic finds things like permissions escalation because something changes over time. It finds transmission of sensitive data that maybe shouldn't be there. Is that data properly encrypted? Does it go to a bad endpoint that's a known malware harvester endpoint from the endpoint databases on the internet? Things like that. So what's interesting about it is the collective is kind of looking for malware through bad behaviors, but also looking for vulnerabilities. Some of the more recent issues we found in the market weren't actually malware. They were vulnerable commercial applications used by millions of people where the bad guys figured out how to exploit the weakness in them. It was a security weakness that their developers had introduced into the app. So that's a little bit about how that works. Now, the App Defense Alliance recently added the MASA specification, which is that independent security verification strategy. So this is how to use SAST and DAST to analyze the app for vulnerabilities that could be exploited, work with the vendor to fix them, and then give them that good housekeeping label of approval, which is the independent security review stamp. So that when you go to their data safety label, in the Google Play Store, you see it says independent security review has been completed by an attested third party. This is deemed safe for use in these categories. And now you have that attestation, which is great from third parties. So you mentioned before that, you know, you typically look at either the source code or the compiled code of an application. And I'm guessing like 99% of the time you don't have access to the source code of the application you're looking for. Most of the time you're looking at the binary, the compiled binary, and you'd have to use some kind of decompilation tool or some kind of analyzer to analyze behavior while it's on device. Can you tell us about like some of the tools that you might use? Are they like all in-house? Do you use any commercial? For those who are into reversing, you may have heard of Frida and Rodari. Frida and Rodari are the top two reversing disassembly tools in the market. Frida and Rodari were created by researchers on our now secure team. Ula and Pancake are their handles. And so those are used by a lot of security researchers. They're also used in some other tooling by other folks, and those are embedded in our tools. So we can reverse and disassemble an iOS or an Android app, whether it's DRM'd or not. With it, you can break most of the obfuscation tools and hook the app, even the ones that have anti-Frida capabilities in it. It's like a cat and mouse game of they try to block and then you find new ways around it. But in reversing it, you can get down to bytecode or Java code or some intermediate language that you can then scan to get a sense from a static perspective about what's going on. What I will say is that Frida and Nadari are great tools. Have a look at them. If you really want to kind of learn your way through what this world looks like, there's some free training on how to use Freedom Radari and participate in the community on our academy.nowsecure.com, or you can just find them on the internet. They're great tools. There's some other tools out there. There are various other tools that might go into Kit. You might use Burp Suite to do network sniffing and some things like that when you kind of build out a toolkit. So we leverage those and other advanced IP that we built. So do the other vendors have all built something that involves some combination of static and dynamic analysis. Speaking of static and dynamic analysis, there is one thing I wanted to follow up with you on, and it's something that I think requires some clarification for listeners who may not be familiar. And it's that why is dynamic analysis actually important to do? Why do you have to test on a real device versus why can't you just statically analyze the code and look for some, say, potentially malicious thing happening? We talked earlier about containers in IPC and data transmission between, say, two containers or two processes, right? Well, that's why you need dynamic analysis. Static analysis will never see if data was improperly transmitted to the IPC bound from one process to another. You need dynamic analysis to understand what's being written to the device in log files or being stored on the device. We find key material, forensic data, IP. We actually found a uh, coupon code generator 
the actual IP generation of that was spewed out in log files under error conditions. Now, static source code scanning won't find that. You only find that when you run it dynamically. So it's a general rule. Dynamic is about testing the crypto. Is the crypto working correctly? And then it's testing storage, which is what is being written and what can I forensically find and what's being written into my own address space, my own storage, other storage, file system, log files, and then network transmission. So what is getting transmitted over the air? Is it interceptable? Am I doing proper certificate pinning? Am I using the TLS channel correctly? What endpoints am I talking to? Are those endpoints safe? There's a whole bunch of things you can test around authentication and authorization that you'll pick out through testing dynamically. So I'll give you wild data. We scan all the apps in the App Store. So there are 6 million Apple app and Google Play Store apps approximately. We scan almost all of them on a regular basis. And what I can tell you is that 80% of them have security vulnerabilities in them. The good news is 20% don't have really bad security vulnerabilities in them, but 80% do. And that number's been the same for five or six years since we've been benchmarking them. What's also interesting is that when you carve into that static versus dynamic, almost everything we're finding is dynamically found. It's really hard to do dynamic analysis and dynamic testing at scale in a development shop. And so a lot of them just don't do it. So they run a static analyzer. And so we find a very low proportion of static vulnerabilities in production apps because most people are using static tools. Dynamic is really hard to do. It's expensive if you pay somebody to do it. Not a lot of people do it. And that's why we find that's where most of the vulnerabilities are in storage, in crypto, in network, in backend APIs by far. Yeah, I'm not surprised because, you know, they want to avoid detection. So if you just have all your malicious code statically, it was in the application itself and it's easy to find, then there's nothing in it for them. It's it's going to be detected and, you know, added to the database and then detected in the future again and over and over again. And I've heard stories of like these malicious applications that behave differently or execute different parts of code differently, depending on your location or what device you're running or a combination of those factors. So like you need to be able to test. That's going to be hard to find. Exactly. It can be hard to find through dynamics. So uh, through an emulator, you're not necessarily going to see all the IPC conversation. Through the emulator, you're not necessarily going to see the interaction with the OS layer all the way down through the hardware to the Wi-Fi chip or the carrier chip, right? So what we have found is for a number of clients who have done emulator-based testing, they bring it to us, we find stuff. I mean, you can't truly emulate the environment to get full coverage. And again, sometimes it's malware. A lot of it's just vulnerabilities. I mean, last year, Walgreens, Slack, they had vulnerabilities that were exploited. People stole prescription data to the Walgreens mobile app because of a vulnerability in it. Slack had a zero day in it, right? So even what you would think would be really great companies, they can make mistakes. Their developers can make mistakes. It might be code they write, party libraries that put in it. But what we're actually seeing is the nation state actors and the criminals are finding these zero days in these applications and they're exploiting them as bad or worse as they are the malware. The price of building malware and getting it into the app store is getting higher and higher because it's harder and harder because of everything we just talked about today. But you know what? If I can find a zero day in Slack and go steal a bunch of corporate data or you know, shopping cart X, and there's numerous applications like that, well, then I can harvest information off of that and use that. You know, there, uh, If I can diverge for a second, a couple of years ago, British Airways was breached. They found a weakness in the way British Airways mobile app was talking to its back end. So they learned how to attack the back end by the mobile app. Then they attacked the back end. 380,000 records were stolen, including passport information, travel history, credit cards. They were fined, British Airways fined 158 million pounds by the EU as the first GDPR fine. Now, all of that 
had to do with the fact of a poorly written mobile application that was exploitable. There was no malware involved. It was just straight up good scientific research that discovered it. And then they used it to go after the back end. And that's what we need to think about is mobile is just part of the overall chain of all the IT systems that some company has. We need to make sure the mobile app and what it talks to is secure, whether it's malware or whether it's a commercial app. So this whole time we've been talking mostly about malware and like malicious applications. But if you read online about like what Google Pay Protect actually identifies, it doesn't usually positively identify actual malicious behavior. It identifies potentially harmful applications. Can you describe what exactly qualifies a potentially harmful application? Yeah, so a potentially harmful application is the app is collecting and maybe transmitting over the air data it shouldn't be. The app is trying to execute system level commands it shouldn't have rights to execute. It could be spyware, it could be phishing, you know, more common things we know, it could be ransomware in terms of its behavior. I haven't heard a lot of production ransomware on mobile, but we've seen some academic experiments along those lines. Uh, there's a lot of system logging going on, data harvesting going on. And so what kind of comes back is, hey, this has some unusual behavior. It's a camera app and it's scraped the entire contact database and shipped it to the cloud, right? And that's going to get a flag if it's picked up, right? Because it doesn't make sense that someone who's taking photos is scraping the entire address book off the device or the history of all the Wi-Fi nodes that this device ever connected to with the SSID and whatever passwords hashed or not, right? So that's part of what it's looking for is it doesn't make sense that this app would be doing that thing whether it's obviously malicious or possibly malicious. Right. And another thing is that potentially dodgy and sketchy or malicious behavior isn't only limited to apps that you can install from the Google Play Store or outside of the Google Play Store. It can also be happening within pre-installed applications, which Google refers to as mobile bundle applications. This isn't really talked about much from what I can see, mostly because it's like a conversation Google has with OEMs. They have like strict requirements about what these mobile bundle applications can and can't do. I want to ask you, what do you know about the security risks with mobile bundle applications? I can't speak for all the carriers. I can't speak for all of Google. I can't speak for all the device manufacturers. You need to talk to each of them. What I would say is that most manufacturers and carriers are working hard to do it the right way. So for example, we work with AT&T and Google. And so the things that AT&T sells are tested and certified by us. And we work with a lot of the other carriers. There are other vendors like us that work with the carriers to try to do the right thing. Google has some attestation and testing requirements that the device manufacturers and carriers must submit, especially if they're part of the Google Play ecosystem and if they're you know, full GMS licensees. And so what they're trying to do is enable lots of people to grow vibrant businesses and enable this very broad ecosystem that we have today that has so many users and so many kinds of applications on it. The trick is saying, hey, here's a set of standards we want you to align with, and we are either going to test you or have you use an independent third party or self-attest that you are doing the right things here and here. And by and large, everybody's got the right idea and trying to do the right thing. You don't hear so much about really bad stuff happening in that. I will say that supply chain attacks, like we've been hearing in the market overall and lots of different things, whether you're the colonial pipeline or what have you. Those are out there and those are hitting mobile just like they're hitting other corporate systems. And so through no fault of their own, developers may wind up with an exploitable or malicious app because of some third-party library they're using or system service they're using that suddenly changed because a bad actor got in there and made a change. And so that will be something I think we're going to live on in the mobile world, the web world, the network world, and every other world until we really get supply chain management under control and, and more safe use of components. 
All right, so on that front, what can app developers do to protect their applications from any malicious exploits? Yeah, I think there's a handful of things. So when we work with organizations who are application developers, whether they're large or small, we give them a set of recommendations. First one is make sure you've got some basic security training for your developers. Make sure they understand the fundamentals. Make sure we've got like a guide that's like, here's 10 APIs you should make sure you use and how to configure them properly. And then a guide on permissioning. A lot of it has to do with just don't collect and store it if you don't need it. Then there are things about how to handle storage, how to handle crypto, how to handle network, how to handle backend API. They're not very difficult. In many instances, it's they didn't know there was a flag they should set. They didn't know there was a configuration option they should be using. They didn't know there was an ordering of operations they should be using. Make sure devs are doing the right thing. The second thing is make sure that there are product requirements that say what kind of security this thing should have, right? If I'm building a banking app, there should be fundamental requirements that say, I'm regulated by the industry. Here's a set of requirements. Well, if I'm not building a banking app, maybe I'm building something else. Those requirements may or not be clear, but just like you're saying, you want a really cool augmented reality experience, make sure that you're protecting using multi-factor authentication and protecting my PHI while you do it, right? Test it. Whether you're using SAST in the pipeline or SAST and DAS in the pipeline, there are open source and paid commercial tools. They're cheap and easy to use. They can run autonomously. They catch all the low-hanging fruit. They make your life easier. What's really cool about a lot of the DAS tools, including now secure now, is it also identifies app store blockers. So you may have a build version issue. You may have a third-party SDK issue. You may have some other reason Google may say, nope, I'm not going to accept this binary because you're not following one of my rules. You can catch that too. So that's not just security and privacy. That's finding those rules. And if you're a super high-end app, you're that embedded health app that's maintaining my heartbeat through a cardiac monitor, or you're my banking app or my financial account management app, you should be doing pen testing once in a while and have really smart experts tear it down just to make sure there isn't something exploitable. So teach requirements, automate your testing everywhere you can, pen test the high-risk stuff, be serious enough that say, hey, we want to have a great user experience and millions or billions of downloads, and we just want to make sure that people's data does what it's supposed to do. Security is essential, of course, for every application and developer should be top of mind, but it should be even more top of mind, especially if you're dealing with sensitive data. And as Brian mentioned, medical, financial, you don't want to be slapped with uh, billions of dollars in a lawsuit for mishandling or having some data breach that you could have solved by protecting your application better. And if you are dealing with any mission-critical application or you need to deploy mission-critical applications onto fleets of dedicated devices, and you want to make sure that the firmware it's running on and the data that you depend on is secured, come talk to us at Esper. We specialize in helping companies manage fleets of dedicated devices, including deploying and keeping your apps updated on them. If you're trying to deploy a kiosk or point-of-sale terminal, you need to lock it down so potentially malicious applications can't be sidelined onto it. It's especially important because most of the time, these dedicated devices won't have GMS on them. So you can't count on Google Play Protect for protection. And if you're worried about any mobile bundle applications that are pre-installed on the off-the-shelf hardware that you've picked up for your dedicated device fleet, you'll need to look at deploying your own firmware based on AOSP. We can also help with that. Check us out at esper.io. And Brian, thanks for joining us on this episode of Android Bytes. Is there anything you'd like to close us off with? Can you, like, where can people find yeah. you online and where can people work with NavSecure on securing their application? Yeah, so you, you can find us online. There's a bunch of great resources I'm going to talk out real quick. So nowsecure.com slash MASA, M-A-S-A. That will help you understand the App Defense Alliance and the Independent Security Review. If you're a user, look to see that the apps you're choosing have an independent security review. If you're a developer, get your independent security review. We can help you expedite that process. It's cheap and easy to go do. If you want some training, 
Academy.nowsecure.com is a free training environment. It's for development, QA, DevOps, and security teams to learn everything they needed to know about building, testing, and running secure apps in production. Again, that's a free resource. You can find me all over the place. I'm actually known as Read on the Run as my handle. So you can find me on you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, and other kinds of fun places, speaking to events of all kinds. The last thing I'll give you is OWASP is growing dramatically. The OWASP mobile project is advancing. And there's some really great things coming from OWASP this fall and into later this year with the evolution of the mobile app security project. So if you're into the community activities, come join us at OWASP and the mobile project and get involved because there's some really great stuff going on. It's a place you can learn, a place you can contribute and really be part of a community who's trying to do the right thing for mobile application security. And just to clarify, what is OWASP exactly? What does it stand for? Oh, OWASP is the Open Web Application Security Project or Program. It's an independent, vendor-agnostic community of uh, security professionals who have been building standards and specifications for how to build secure web apps, mobile apps, how to secure your APIs on the back end, and things of that nature. So OWASP, for those who are in the security world, are generally familiar with it as a non-for-profit that drives that. OWASP has a number of initiatives going on in the development world. And what's really great about it is that Google has fully embraced OWASP. So the App Defense Alliance Massa Certification Program, which gets you that independent security verification, actually is using the OWASP standard. And you're going to see the OWASP standard in many other places as a mechanism for a common industry standard for what security means, whether it's web, mobile, network, device, or API. So there's some really great things going on in that standards body. All right. Thank you, Brian. And thank you, everyone, again, for listening to another episode of Android Bytes. We'll catch you next time.